stand this morning as we reverence the reading of the Word of God. We're looking in Matthew chapter 13. There are a series of parables that are found there, stories that Jesus told to illustrate various aspects of his kingdom. Today we're going to be looking at the tares and the wheat. Matthew 13, 24. Another parable he put forth to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. When the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let, the, let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. We saw last week this parable of the sower and the seed and the soil. And today we'll be looking at another agricultural story. Many good preachers have concluded over the years that this story is about lost church members, but I don't believe that at all. Uh, notice as Jesus explains this, verse 36, Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parables of the tares in the field. And he answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man, the field is the world. The field is the world, not the church, the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We'll consider this explanation in more detail as we go along. But for now, notice that Jesus tells us the field is the world. The parable of the tares and the wheat then has to do with the presence of the kingdom of Christ in the world. Which is exactly then what Jesus is telling us. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And he's going then to discuss the presence of his kingdom, his subjects, his people. As they are in the world. And how the enemy then works wherever God's people are sown into the world. The enemy works to sow his people right there along with them. In the world. Due, to the, due then to this work of the enemy, the children of the kingdom are going to be intertwined 
with the children of the wicked one in the world. Now the children of the wicked one are not passive or inactive. Jesus said of them in John chapter 8 and verse 44, as he spoke to a group during his ministry, he said, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You are of your father, the devil, and your will, what you want to do is to do the works of your father. You want to do what your father wants you to do, and he doesn't leave us to wonder what the works of the devil are. Murder and lies. Murder and deception. He loves to spread murder and mayhem and then lie about it and blame God for it. It's one of his favorite things to do. This is the work of the evil one. And he doesn't even do it himself because he has people, his children, all over this planet. And they are doing his killing and his lying for him. The devil has left a bloody trail fueled by lies and deception across the pages of human, uh, of human history. Uh, he is not anti-religion. Don't be fooled. The devil loves re religion. He has created several of them. And in fact, they are known by the very thing that Jesus describes here. Murder, mayhem, lies, deception. Paul warned Timothy that he must be patient with those who've been taken captive by the devil to do his bidding. There are many of them. In the parable, the laborers then ask a very good question of their master. Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? When the disciples came to Jesus to ask him to explain this story, they didn't say a thing about the wheat. They said, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. You see, it isn't the presence of the wheat in the world, really, that confuses us. It is, it is the presence of tares in the world that disturbs the disciples and troubles them. It's still that way today. It isn't the people of the world who are going about doing good, and there are multitudes of them. They're good, godly people. They help people. They love people. They do good things in their community. They do good things in their family. And most of the time, all the good that's being done all over the world, for the most part, goes unnoticed. There's a few Facebook stars. I'll admit that. Every now and then, somebody gets uh, noticed and gets their picture on social media, and it goes viral, and some great thing has happened. But for the most part, what we read about in the papers, what we hear about, what is sensationalized and, and spread everywhere are the workers of evil. The insurance industry has coined a phrase. They call things acts of God. If you want to look them up and see what they are, it refers to natural events or calamities such as hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, tsunamis, uh, things that cannot be foreseen. Uh, there's nothing that we had any control over. It just happens to us, so they call them uh, the acts of God. Well, I want to remind you of something this morning. Every sunrise is an act of God. 
Every flower you ever see blooming, even the wild ones along the road, call them a weed if you want to. If my mama was alive, she'd argue it with you. But uh, even the flowers that grow along the field, we see them and say, oh, how beautiful. That's an act of God. The breath that you breathe, you've got lungs to breathe it in and good air to breathe, water to drink. All these things are acts of God. But there's something about humanity that immediately when something bad and evil happens, why did God let this happen? Professors love to intimidate their students with the question, why is there evil in the world? Nobody ever seems to ask the question, why is there good in the world? Jesus pointed that out to us in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44. He said, I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now notice that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven, for He makes His Son. (laughs) Did you get that? His Son. Uh, Did I mention that? His Son. To shine on the evil and on the good. (laughs) This time of the year, he makes it shine a whole lot, doesn't he? He makes his sun to shine on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust every day. God blesses people all over this planet who are living in outright rebellion to him. At the very best, they live a self-imposed, exiled life from God. And sometimes they're outright hostile toward Him. But yet God just keeps on being good. His goodness is everywhere. We see it all around us. He blesses us and blesses us and blesses us. We should be more amazed when we consider how many on this planet are living in rebellion against God. We should be more amazed at how good He is. But as Christians, certainly we are still going to be perplexed somewhat by how much evil is there. There's a very personal struggle that the disciples were having. Tell us about the tares. The servants of the Master. Lord... Didn't you sow good field, seed in the field? How then is there tares? There's many a godly parent in the world who says, Lord, I sowed good seed into my children. Why then is there tares? Many a people and many a person says, I've I've sowed good seed in my life. I've sowed good seed in my marriage. I've sowed good seed in my business. I've done right. I've trusted you. I've gone to church. I've lived for you. I've served you. I've read my Bible. How then is it that there are tares? Well, this morning I'm going to use a a classic outline. I, I would tell you who invented it if I knew, but... It's one preachers have used for generations. I couldn't improve on it, and so I decided to use it. Uh, A classic outline. It talks about the enemy, and it's right there in the text. Those are the best kind. The enigma and the end. The enemy, the enigma, and the end. First notice the enemy. Jesus said it right up front. The tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. 
One of the greatest philosophical questions of humanity is why did God make the devil? And, and, and if, if he didn't make him, of course, we understand, well, he didn't make the devil. He made an angel named Lucifer, and, and he was the, uh, the worship leader in heaven. He was the anointed cherub, the most beautiful of them all. He was lifted up with pride, and he fell. We might then ask, why did God allow him to continue to exist? Jesus does not address that at all in the parable. And in fact, I know of no passage of scripture in the Bible where it ever specifically tells us why that he did that. But I can tell you this much. Uh, the, the enemy exists. He's very real. And he has a name. He's the devil. On an angelic level, let's understand that God created the angels as ministering spirits. Some rebelled. He even gave the angels the opportunity to either follow him or to rebel against him. Some rebelled. In that sense, it's not much different than people. God created mankind to serve him and worship him. Some rebel. Some serve him. Some honor him and glorify him. Some don't. God does not immediately destroy people in their rebellion and in their rejection. And that's good news because most all of us in this building today at one point in our life were on the rebellion side. And if God sent down a lightning bolt to strike us dead the moment we rebelled against him, there wouldn't be any of us left. So I can see how that God has created the angels, all of them as ministering spirits. Some rebelled, some followed Lucifer in his rebellion. And now they are on the devil's team. The storyline, though, while not de dealing with all of those issues, does give us several aspects of the enemy's work. Verse 25, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Several quick things we see. The enemy's real, and he works in the dark while men sleep. Now, sleep is a good thing, amen? Some of you are trying to enjoy it right now, and I'm going to do my best. <laughs> Keep that from happening. <laughs> uh, sleep's a good thing. And there's times that the Bible speaks of it as a blessing. You know, the Bible tells us that he giveth his beloved sleep. And uh, it, it, is, it is a great blessing just to be able to sleep. And you don't really appreciate it uh, until uh, insomnia hits and old age hits. And it kind of takes it away from you. Uh, uh, young people here in the service today ever wonder why it is uh, that your parents just seem to take such delight at rolling you out of the bed at 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock in the morning you think, man, I could sleep till noon. We know it, and we don't like it. <laughs> because we can't. We can't. That ability is gone from our life. Unless we're sick. Under medication. <laughs> it's, it's a good thing. But there are times when the Bible warns us about sleeping in a spiritual sense. Uh, when we should be awake, Romans 13 says it's high time to awaken out of, sleep, out of sleep because we're growing closer to the return of Christ. It calls on us to cast off the unfruitful works of darkness. Let me just say this very plainly. The devil does his best work in the dark. 
because a lot of evil things goes on in the dark. And the devil loves to lure us to sleep. Interestingly, the plant that Jesus described, the tares we know today as cheat or darnel, its fruit, if consumed, can be poisonous, actually cause death, but it does indeed cause slumber or sleep. Isn't that interesting? This is a time when we need to keep ourselves in the light, to stay in the Word, to put ourselves under preaching and teaching that the Holy Spirit uses to apply to our lives. Simon Peter told us to be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, wanders about as a roaring lion, another one of those good animals that does good work in the dark. As a roaring lion seeks whom he may devour. So the enemy's real and he works in the dark while men sleep. The enemy comes to wherever the good seed, the subjects of the kingdom, are sown into the world. Make no mistake, our king is sowing us. Remember he said in this parable, the seed are the children of the kingdom. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, the Bible says Saul was consenting to his death. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered. Scattered. Just like the sowing of a seed. They were scattered out into the world. Make no mistake about it. Wherever God scatters his children throughout the world, the wicked one is working to scatter his in the same place. He does it in the dark. He does it out of sight. He does it so that we don't notice. But wherever we go in the world, you can rest assured that the wicked one is going to be out to counteract our influence. The enemy works so that his efforts are undetectable for a time. Tares would grow among the wheat so that for a time only a careful inspection by someone who was trained to spot them could tell the difference between the tares and the wheat. It would be grown and well-rooted and in fact bearing fruit before most people would recognize that the tares were tares. Uh, while wheat produces brown uh, grain, it has two rows of it, they're heavy and it, tends and it bows over. Uh, the darnel does not do that. It produces a black fruit and it is not heavy enough to bow like the, the wheat bows over. And so it is recognizable then when it's grown and well-rooted and already producing a crop. We know something about weeds. Weeds grow faster and produce seed more quickly than good plants do. It's something to do with the fall, no doubt. The curse. The last thing Jesus tells us about the enemy is that the enemy does his work and goes his way. Having uh, placed the tares in the field, the enemy is confident of their ability to do their work. They're going to be obedient. They're going to follow their nature. They're going to do what the enemy wants them to do. And he's perfectly satisfied just throwing them out there, trusting them to do their work and moving on then to another field. working stealthily at night with a very effective, well-designed plan for opposition, the enemy does his work, stays out of sight, and moves along. Then we see the enigma, the puzzling thing. Because the servants of the master came to him and told him, there's tares in the wheat, and the servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? And the master said, no. No. 
lest while you gather up tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. That's a strange thing. We weed our gardens. We weed our flower beds. We weed our cultivated fields. In fact, uh, we have raised the ability to deal with weeds to an art form. It's amazing how well they can do. I saw a, uh, a deal when I looked it up this week. Just a couple of months ago, Dow Chemical, for example, announced a new herbicide called Open Sky that will kill weeds, just about all of them, while leaving wheat completely unharmed. Isn't that a neat thing? That's not a new thing. They've been doing that all along. You're more familiar with what you spray on your yard that kills everything except Bermuda or whatever. I mean, I don't know how they do it. It's amazing. How can they create a herbicide that will kill all these plants but then leave the good seed? That's a great thing. But the master of the field presents an enigmatic solution when he says, leave them alone. Leave them alone. And he gives them a simple explanation. If you take up the tares... You will uproot some of the wheat as well. You see, the influence and the activity of those who are the children of the wicked one is intricately intertwined with the activity of those who are the children of the kingdom. And it's actually then uh, inseparable. They they can't do that. It's hard for us. After all, if, if Dow Chemical and Monsanto can do it, why can't God do it? The obvious answer to that is, of course, God's talking about people, the world, the kingdom, the children of the kingdom, the children of the wicked one. We're people. People are different. I'll just example. I'll give you an example with Paul the apostle, Romans chapter seven, verse fourteen. Paul said, and he's, this is an autobiographical passage. He's talking about himself. For we know that the law is spiritual. He says, but I am carnal, fleshly, sold under sin. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. Anybody in this building identify with what Paul said? I guarantee you the guy up here behind the pulpit does. What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. I see the things that God says are bad, I don't want to do them. And yet how to stop doing them, I can't figure out. And I can't figure out how to do the things that God tells me to do. And so here I am. And there's this law. Though I am a child of God, though I have been born from above, though I have received the Holy Spirit and He lives in my life, there is still a law. There is evil in me. There's tares in my wheat. There's tares in my wheat. 
God has given us a marvelous gift called imagination. It lets us dream great things. It lets us imagine what heaven must be like. It lets us think and conceive and and perceive of things that are beyond our own experience. We can imagine something. Something wonderful. Something glorious that we can do. But we can also imagine things that are horribly evil and wicked and sinful. We can frame our thoughts into words and write them on paper. And we can send those words out to people, words that encourage, words that inspire, words that help, words that express our love and affection. But the same gift can send out angry words that hurt and hate and that linger around much longer than any word of encouragement that we could have ever given. God gives us the ability to hear, to see. Our intellect lets us understand great thoughts. Our our gift of hearing lets us listen to glorious songs of praise. Our eyes lets us behold God's beauty. We can also read horrible things. We can watch horrible things. We can listen to horrible things. Look in the mirror, folks. There's tears in our wheat. Now you think, well, God, why don't you just fix all that? Okay. I could take away your imagination, your ability to dream. You'd never dream a great dream again. You'd never dream a horrible thing, but... I could take away your intellect so that you could not think great thoughts or read great thoughts or understand great things and understand... And and therefore, because that is there, you know, you wouldn't be reading and understanding and learning about these awful things, but you also couldn't learn the truth of God anymore. Maybe He could just take us out of the world, and certainly God could take us out anytime He wants to. And if we go home to heaven, we'd never sin again. But listen. We'll never witness again either. Never give a testimony again. So you see, there's tares in the wheat. That's true. We can see it in our very, very own life. And hopefully this morning we can understand a little bit better about what the Master says when He says we're not going to pull up the tares because if we do, We'll have to pull up a lot of wheat too. God, we know though that these evil people, these children of the wicked one, we know they're spreading their words and their thoughts and we know about the murder and and the mayhem that they're causing in the world. We see it all the time. God, why don't you do something? We know what we know or what we think we know. (laughs) But there's a knowledge that's far greater than ours. And let me tell you something this morning, Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, still in the Bible, and it's still as true as it's ever been. 
And that is that God is working all things together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Our faith then isn't a magic incantation that takes us all, all the evil out of the world or, or even takes it all out of our life or makes everything the way we think it should be. Faith in Jesus Christ then is the ability to recognize the world as it is. There are tares in the wheat. We can stare that straight in the eye and understand that the enemy's done this. The enemy then, the enigma, leave him alone. Now the end, verse 38. He said, as therefore the tares, or the enemy that sowed them, verse 39 rather, is the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angel. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Tares are not a worry to the master because he knows that the harvest is coming. The world is his domain. The universe is his domain. And he will take care of the tares in his own timing. Part of the nature of the tares though, as we've noted, is that it looks a whole lot like wheat and we think, though, that we can tell them apart. We could go out and we'd say, yep, that's tares. I need to pull that up. Uh, we might find out it wasn't that way at all. It might have looked that way for a while. <laughs> but God, you see, knows more than we do. So he says, at the end of the world, this will be something I'll take care of. And it's going to be my angels that will do it. God never puts us in the terror pulling business instead he sends us out in the kingdom in the world his inhabitants as the children of his kingdom and tells us to bear fruit knowing all along that there's tares in the wheat but when he tells us that the end is going to change all this I love the way the story ends, verse 43. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of the Father. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You see, it bugs us. Sometimes it bugs us a lot. That all the good that is done is overlooked. All the good that we do, all the good that I do, is often overlooked and unnoticed. Oh, if we ever mess up, though, <laughs> no, oh, boy, that, that gets a lot of attention. Everybody else who messes up, boy, oh, that gets a lot of attention. But all of the good that's being done by godly people all over this planet this morning, for the most part, passes and nobody notices. That day is coming when all of that will change. And Jesus says that at the end, not only are the wicked, not only are the evil people on this planet going to be gathered up and cast into the eternal fires of hell, but he also tells us that my people are going to shine forth. Oh, they'll shine. A shining time for the people of God. And the world's not like it ought to be. It's not like God made it to be. And though we like to blame God for all the bad that's happening, 
fact is, the words of Jesus still echo across our hearts today. It's an enemy that did this. Let's remember. Who was it that led humanity down that path? Who was it that started all of this sin and evil in the world? Who is it that's the murderer and the liar? Who is it that is the thief that comes to kill and to steal and to destroy? You say, well, why doesn't God deal with it all? He will. (laughs) He will. In his time, he will. In the meantime, you and I need to keep on bearing fruit for the kingdom. Because that's what he sent us out to do. One more thought and we're done. You plant a kernel of wheat in the ground, water it, cover it up with dirt, and let it do its thing. It'll make a crop. It's not going to grow rutabagas, asparagus. It's a kernel of wheat. It's going to produce a wheat crop. We could say that it has no choice in the matter. It does what it is designed to do. Not so with humanity. We do have choice. God help us, we often make the wrong choices. In fact, the Bible tells us that we've all made the wrong choices. Prophet Isaiah said it long ago, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one aside into his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Thank God for the cross of Jesus Christ. Because that is the ultimate solution the wickedness and evil in the world. Lord, there's tares among the wheat. So do tell. Just keep bearing fruit. That's what we're here to do. Let's stand together, please.